Welcome back to the Pregnantish Podcast. In honor of Pride, we are sharing some of the most inspiring stories in the LGBTQ plus community that we've recently come across. Today's episode is supported by A Lifetime of Pride and Joy, a campaign that celebrates and encourages family equality and includes the opportunity for members of the queer community to build their own modern family through a chance to win a free fertility journey, including IVF and surrogacy services. For more, visit pridejoybaby.com. You may recognize Matthew and his partner Elliot's family story as it made headline news just a couple of years ago. Matt's 61-year-old mother carried the embryo that he created with his husband, Elliot, and Elliot's sister acted as their egg donor. The way that we had our child was not in any way that we had anticipated it. I mean, you really can't make it up. And so it just continued to get more and more wild as it went along. My mom did one embryo transfer with a PGS tested embryo and got pregnant and then carried it basically full term and had a natural birth and gave us our first child and her her first granddaughter. As if that wasn't an already very modern family story. The Dart family is now helping another queer family achieve their dreams of parenthood. Matt is the sperm donor for his best friend MB's future baby that she's hoping to have with her partner August, who recently transitioned from female to non-binary male. Did I offer? I probably did. It's like, it's something we, as like teenagers, we always joked about. Like it was something that we would kind of jokingly throw around, you know, like you're going to have my bait, like, right? Like, cause I'm gay, you know, like it was like, well, let's find some wombs and, you know, like I'll be your sperm donor. And it was just something that we just <laughs> would joke about as like teenagers and then got older and we're like, oh, let's actually, we could do this. Nothing about these paths to parenthood are straight or simple, but they show what is possible when families are built from love. Thank you so much, Elliot and Matt, for being here on Pregnish Podcast in honor of our Pride programming. Of course, it's an honor to be here with you. I would just love, you know, I ask this question to most guests on the podcast, which is a very general, broad question, but I always like our audience to know who's on the other end, you know, and who you guys are. How would you describe each of you? Maybe Elliot, you can start and then Matthew. Huh, that's a really great question. I am Elliot and I am currently a hairstylist. The question's an interesting one as we're like on the precipice of a big life change here. So, so many of things that I identify as myself are kind of in the process of changing right now, but I'm Elliot. I'm a hairstylist. I'm a father. I live in Nebraska. Those are all really generic facts, I guess, but... Elliot, well, Elliot used to describe us as just like a cute little queer couple that lives on the hill in the in the Midwest, in the prairie lands. I don't know, however you want to say it, but <laughs> it is kind of an existential question because we're in this huge transition for ourselves where in just a couple of weeks, we're packing everything up and we'll become officially a full-time traveling family. Uh, Elliot's a hairstylist. I'm a teacher, a high school teacher. But again, I just had my last day on Friday. And uh, we don't know what will become of us. We're kind of excited to see. We're essentially our mission is to become students of the world and learn about new ways to live off of the land and new ways to educate our children and ways to live within community. And and it's an exciting time. But That's us. That's awesome. I mean, what an amazing next chapter you're entering. And I definitely want to hear what 
inspired that. You know, it's it's interesting because I first came across both of you in major media. Your story made headlines, I think, internationally. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, I, I can't think of a news source that didn't cover it at some point. It was global news. <laughs> and it's, you know, in the pregnant-ish world, Whenever someone says, I have a crazy story to tell, I say, really? Because <laughs> I've heard it. I think when science meets family, possibilities are endless So mm -hmm. um, and never boring. But how was your family created? I know I, I covered the broad strokes in the intro that Matthew, your mother, carried and Elliot, your sister, offered her eggs. But I mean, there's a lot, I'm sure, more than that headline. So can you tell us about how you became dads? I guess, you know, in the beginning, we never really anticipated that we would become parents, or at least I didn't think that was something we wanted until, oh God, how far back do we go? And this we... Well, we didn't know if we could have yeah. kids. So if, I think for a, lot of, a long time, we just, as a form of self-protection, told ourselves we didn't want children. And then Elliot's mom passed away, and then we had a couple of nephews pop up in the world, and it really shifted our perspective. And so then we started to you know, brainstorm ways that we could build a family. When we got married, I got fired from the teaching position that I was at at that time. So we were really nervous to navigate kind of an oppressive system. We live in a very conservative state, Nebraska. And so we decided we wanted to just start saving up and building toward IVF and lots of conversations happened. And it was the way that we had our child was not in any way that we had anticipated it. I mean, you really can't make it up. And so it just continued to get more and more wild as it went along. But the big step that happened was when we were looking for potential eggs on like an egg donor site, we were really overwhelmed with the process, you know, both financially and also just the entire like logistics of how it worked. And that's when Elliot's sister just immediately said that she would be the egg donor for us. She would do anything to help us build our family. And for us, that was a really simple decision because it immediately like eliminated all of the kind of overwhelming paralysis of choice that we had at the time. As well as just like the financial, like it felt really formidable as like a teacher and hairstylist <laughs> yeah. or like IVF. You know, when you say those three letters, you think expensive, you know what I mean? Yes. So. Yeah, it was just, we all were, uh, we were all thrilled when she offered and all three of us were like so excited and the momentum immediately happened. And of course, her husband at the time was like, okay, let's slow down. Like we need to think about this, but <laughs> we'd have some real conversations. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but um, so for us, that was like, a really easy, simple yes. Um, we actually had a surrogate that was planning to, you know, carry the child for us. A great friend of ours. She's in a lesbian relationship and married for many years, been with her partner for over a decade. And we kind of consider them our queer family. And in fact, who you're going to talk to later, MB and August, are all, we're all one big queer family is what we like to call ourselves. And, mm -hmm. and so they were going to carry. And our doctor just was really, really hesitant to that decision that we had made for a couple of reasons. One, Emily had never had a child before. And, and then there were some concerns that the doctor just had on her end. And so she was really, really pushing, like, you need to be considering a different candidate. And I very jokingly mentioned that my mom continues to volunteer because she did. And mm -hmm. I truly said it as a form of like shock, like I wanted to make a joke and she didn't laugh. And and she's like, well, let's like, she asked two questions. She asked, you know, is she healthy? And does she have a uterus? And the answer was yes to both of those. So they brought her in and 
they put her through all of these meticulous health tests and she just continued to pass them over and over and over and over and over again. And we were just like humoring it, seeing like we thought we were just going to see it through to its natural end. And then before we knew it, they were handing handing her the progesterone to start taking. I was secretly hoping it wouldn't work out. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) yeah. uh, But then they she told us that was our candidate. And then my mom did one embryo transfer with a PGS tested embryo and got pregnant and then carried it basically full term and had a natural birth and gave us our first child and her her first granddaughter. Incredible. And how old was your mother at that time? Well, she was 61 when she gave birth, which I think makes her the oldest person in the United States of America. You guys are making headlines all over the place. I, you know, <laughs> I think a lot of people don't realize that in a woman anyway, the eggs age more than the uterus does because yeah, right. when my first cousin carried our embryo, the first question was always how old is she? And I'd say, well, you know, or, you know, when an, there was an Indian woman who delivered a baby, I think at 70 or in her 70s, but nobody in the article interviewed her about the eggs. <laughs> like, where did yep. those come from? But it is quite spectacular. Did your family, I mean, when your when your mother offered, how did everyone respond to this? Or did you have support all around? Do you did you have any pushback from anyone? Well, it was unusual to tell people that you know your mom is pregnant with your baby. You know, what I mean? <laughs> so like, yeah, and 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 some people just have some real misconceptions of how fertility works. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, so you really need to just like kind of give a little science lesson. And I would even literally like provide graphs for people because <laughs> I was just I I was I was definitely hesitant and scared to share one because of you know, accusations and worries of people thinking it's incest, which it isn't, you know, once you explain it from a biological standpoint, but also I I just, I didn't, I didn't know how people perceived me because I, I remember being so nervous that what if something happens to my mom? And so I didn't want to be seen as like being really reckless and careless with, you know, the one mom that we had left, essentially Mm. everyone, our family was really supportive they just were shocked because and and same with us like I had no idea like you mentioned we always just we just ask about the age of individuals when they give birth but we don't realize that so much of it does have to do with a quality and I didn't know that a woman that was postmenopausal could even carry I didn't know that was a thing and so we had to have extend some grace to individuals because it's it isn't the most you know familiar tale told. That's for sure. And so you welcomed your daughter Uma. How old is your daughter now? She's a little over two years old. She's a little over two. That's incredible. And when you look at her and the day you met her, I mean, could we could we rewind now to when you were you know, coming out to yourself. Did you ever imagine this moment? (laughs) Well, I remember coming out to my mom and (laughs) it was an experience. And my mom was like the most loving individual, you know, and, and, but I think it was a big shock to her. And I think the thing that made her the most sad is she believed that I would never be able to get married. And she believed that I would never be able to have a child. Mm. And so it's just so full circle when not only did we get married, but that my mom was literally the portal to give us our first child and just how much things can change and shift. And my mom, she, you know, she believes this was like a divine intervention. Like, I mean, it was something that she felt like she was destined and called to do for us. And 
what a testament of, of love and what a testament to, you know, LGBTQ advocacy and what it means to be an ally to the most extreme form. That's absolutely true. And I do think that I often feel that surrogates are angels on earth because many of them do talk about that calling. You know, I think mm-hmm. the perception is that all people involved in third party reproduction like surrogacy are doing it for money. But a lot of times, you know, we've interviewed so many through the years at Pregnantish in their heart and soul. It's a calling for so many of them. And my first cousin had that same feeling like this is divine. This is beyond, you know, something I'm thinking about. It's in my heart, which obviously, Matt, it sounds like uh, your mother felt that way when Elliot, for you, when you when did you come out and what did you imagine your future to look like? I came out when I was 17 years old and, you know, it was a different time than it is now being like a queer kid because there wasn't that much, you know, in pop culture or around us to really like see what it meant to be a queer adult. So I guess, you know, I didn't really ever imagine what my destiny was beyond like coming out. That was kind of the big block, right? But when I did come out, I do think it's really vulnerable as a queer person to speak to wanting a family or wanting to be married because those things weren't allowed for us at that time. So I think I would be pretty amazed right now the fact that I'm married with a child. (laughs) Yes. One thing that, and I think a lot of people experience this when they have a parent or a grandparent that passes away is the sadness of as your kid gets older, how you wish they could have seen it. And Elliot's mom, we got married when we realized that she was she was dying from stage four cancer and and my own mother when she came and visited her on her deathbed and she said, I'll take care of Elliot like he's my own son. You don't need mm. to worry. He's my he's my boy now. And so one, this like this that spiritual, you know, and an emotional torch that she carried on for Elliot's mom, but also just the true miracle, the biological miracle, because if you look at like how this entire process happened. I can't even, I, I, someone, someone someone pointed out the logistics of like the egg. Well, the, that was. My sister, when she was in my mother's womb, had that egg already that inside been, of her. So oh that egg was inside of my mother and also inside of your mother, yeah. which is yeah. so beautiful. Wow, that's, Both that's, of the matriarchs of the family have carried this egg. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Boy. That just gave me chills. That's so true. That's like, what a circle of life thing to realize that and and now in Uma you can see both of your it's so cool that you're both genetically linked to your baby yes yeah I think for a while we felt embarrassed to say that we liked that because I think there's a real critique on gay couples and queer couples about you know maybe themes of narcissism and why is it that we feel this desire to you know want to see ourselves and our own children and and I think a lot of times people put you know they they they, they assume that if you are queer or I think infertile, there's this real obligation where you should be doing either foster mm-hmm. care or adoption, which is amazing. Absolutely. But everyone can be, whether you're fertile or you're not, whether you're queer or you're straight, right? It's but so there is something really magical that I never anticipated being in a gay relationship that our child would have a genetic connection between the both of us. And she does. And it is neat to me. Oh my gosh. It's, it's so amazing. So going back to your love story, how did you meet and when did you know you'd be you know creating a family together whether that meant just two of you or beyond that 
So we met in 2012. Matthew was directing a short film and needed a hairstylist. So we actually connected on Facebook and we met that summer and I helped him style the hair and the wigs. And after that summer, we ended up just moving in together. We realized that we were really in love. And at that point, we decided that we, I don't know, do you want to jump in there? Well, I realized I loved you right away. And I was the first Uh, one to say, and he didn't respond right away. (laughs) I said, thank you. He said, thank you. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, it was just immediate and cosmic. And I mean, we didn't, we never stopped hanging out, honestly, ever since. And, and he moved in that fall. And then we, we, we actually went on a sabbatical with our jobs and we backpacked the world. And that's where we really started to like, I think, build what our relationship would be. And that's why this time right now, as we are about to enter a new traveling adventure, feels so full circle because we get to do that now with our daughter. So let's talk about that, this life change that we're catching you right in the middle of, where you're going to travel the world with your daughter. What brought that about and what inspired you to take that leap? I guess I would say that it started definitely during quarantine where I think we all experienced that life slowed down enough that we were able to take a really close look at what served us and maybe what wasn't serving us anymore. And what we realized is that we really enjoyed our time together and we enjoyed spending time with Uma and it felt really natural to be together and parenting her together. And we just realized we wanted to find a way to live our life where we weren't always being pulled apart and separated and that we wanted to create a new life for ourselves and wanted to explore how other people are living. And we decided that we would let everything fall away starting this summer and we would begin creating a new life inspired by what we witnessed as we traveled around the world. So more than tourism and vacationing. We really want to meet people and see how other people are living. And I think it's a time where a lot of people are exploring those ideas. Yeah. And I think Uma's birth, we didn't realize it at the time, but it was a real testament of like intentionality and making decisions that align with our highest selves. And I think when you have a kid, I don't know, things really shift. And and we've just begun to ask like, what is the life that we want to create? And I think that the pandemic allowed us to question things that maybe we would have never questioned. And and now we really want to make sure that we aren't just doing things because everyone else is doing them, but we're intentionally choosing a life that is best for Uma and that's best for us and our family. I love that. And I think, yeah, there's, we've taken our daughter from the time she was five weeks old on an airplane, five months old overseas. It's the best classroom, you know, for them to be out in the world So that is incredible. You know, one thing that I think, and we kind of touched on it when you talked about things people impose on uh, the gay community and the infertile community. What are some, for listeners, there we know, you know, we have listeners who can't imagine the modern family building journey that we're talking about now. And obviously it may not look like a sister and a mother involved, but it's still many, many steps and many, many bills and confusion. What are some misconceptions you think people have about two men creating a family? You know, I, I we kind of we we kind of talked about this earlier, you and I. But for me, and and the thing is, is sometimes those misconceptions aren't just on the outside of our community; they get internalized within ourselves, which is what's the most dangerous. And I think one misconception that is out there that I had believed for quite some time was that. 
you know, a child has to have a mother because I do believe women and like feminine energy will save the world. I think that they are the future and that's what we need. And so I had a real deep fear that I wouldn't have this like internal maternal magic that is so important for like loving and nurturing a young sentient being. And so not only was I really stressed and fearful about a number of things that come along with IVF, let alone with your 61 year old mother, but I had this fear of like, what if I don't like, what if I'm not like wired for this? And, and then, and then she was born and, and I held her for the first time and I heard her cry for the first time. And it was, it was like such a cosmic experience because all of those like cerebral heady thoughts and worries and fears and anxieties that maybe were rooted from the ego were completely washed away. And I realized that like, we, I think maternal energy is so crucial, but I think we all have the ability to tap into it. And, and it's funny cause we actually watched that documentary on, I think it's called babies and they did some science on it and talks about with gay couples, um, there will be one or, t- or both caregivers that release the exact same hormones or chemicals of attachment that a mother typically does. And so I think that the misconception that a mother is so crucial and so essential for, you know, the, the love and the stability for a child isn't necessarily true. I think it requires intentionality and it requires, of course, a community around. It's not just mom and dad. It's not just dad. It's, you know, it's everybody that gets around to to try and make the thing happen. Absolutely. And you truly had that in your journey. And I think you're talking about oxytocin because, and I've, I've looked at that a lot in my work as a relationships writer, but it's true that men, you know, community is needed. Intentionality is needed. And what's needed most love. And this baby Uma could not have been brought into the world. I think with more love, I, it sounds like on every level, spiritually and on this earth, there was so much love surrounding her. So after the break, we're going to bring in your friend MB and we're going to talk about this next exciting chapter as your village grows and your community <laughs> grows. But any advice you have for LGBTQ plus listeners who can't even imagine going down this path? I would just say to, you know, it's so vulnerable to admit that you want to have a family or, or, you know, to begin that journey. But for us, when we stated what we wanted and we asked for help from our loved ones in our community to see that people came forward and, and your journey might not be the same and it might involve different people, friends, family, people you don't even know yet, people you won't meet until you say what you want. You know, I think sometimes creating a family can just feel like two individuals doing it so secretly and privately. But for us, it was both really like intimidating, but also so meaningful to have such a village around Uma, like to even create her. So I would say, you know, like people often will say, you guys were so lucky that you had people in your life. And I don't even know if we knew that they would come forward until we said what we wanted. So just to not be afraid to put it out there that this is something you want. Yeah, I think... I think something we need to do on like a social and political level is make it easier for queer couples. And I think the reason why people are really gravitated to our stories, we're not like the typical gay couple that's really wealthy and can just pay for 
you know, a baby for a hundred thousand dollars, which is typically what it is. And, you know, I think that's such a disservice because it shouldn't just be, you know, building a family shouldn't be reserved for just those that are elite and that are in this certain bracket. And, you know, people are totally capable of, of giving and receiving love and building a family. And so I think if we can create some laws that create less hurdles, you know, because we couldn't believe the financial barriers, not only to create Uma, but then afterward, the legal work to just get the state to recognize that she was our child. So I think we have some some social justice issues to fight t- together as a group. Um, but individually, I totally agree with you is, is it's such a vulnerable process anyways, but then it's even harder when you have to rely on people around you. And so to just lean into that discomfort and to to say what you want and hopefully it, it manifests somehow. Wow, I love that. Well, I think that's a good segue for after the break with MB in August because it sounds like they knew what they wanted and then they that's mm-hmm. where you got involved. So we're going to take a break and we'll be back soon. After the break, we'll be joined by Matt's childhood friend MB, who Matt donated his sperm to, and MB's partner August, who recently transitioned from female to non-binary male. MB and August are excited to be part of Matt and Elliot's extended, big, happy queer family, as they say, and we'll hear from them too. But first, I wanted to take an opportunity to thank today's episode sponsor, A Lifetime of Pride and Joy, which is a campaign celebrating modern family building in celebration of Pride Month 2021. To further heighten the message of accessibility and inclusivity of fertility care among the LGBTQ plus community, a lifetime of pride and joy includes a fertility journey giveaway in which one randomly chosen winner will have the opportunity to build their own family through a customized fertility plan, including IVF and surrogacy packages and associated services from each of these premier nationally recognized fertility service providers the Prelude Network, My Egg Bank, Bundle Fertility, and Circle Surrogacy. There is no purchase necessary to enter this amazing giveaway, retailed at up to $75,000, and the winner will be announced in early July. To learn more about the campaign, see the contest rules, and learn how to enter the Fertility Journey giveaway, visit pridejoybaby.com. And now we're joined by Matt's childhood best friend, MB, and her partner, August, who recently transitioned from female to a transmasculine non-binary person. Matt is MB's sperm donor, and I'm sitting down now with the three of them to learn more about MB and August and why it's so meaningful that Matt is part of their growing family story. I'm so happy to meet you, MB and August. And the Pregnant Podcast is a podcast about modern family building, and that can mean so many things. And I was joking before with Elliot and Matt that nothing shocks us on this podcast. What's so amazing when science meets family is that the possibilities are endless. And you guys represent that so beautifully. Before we launch into why Matt is still on the line with us, I would love to just hear from, you know, both of you, MB and August. And it's a very broad question that I asked Elliot and Matt as well. But who are you, MB? That's a good question. I'm a very empathetic person. I feel like I connect with people and their emotions, especially children and animals. And I I 
I'm just, I'm a carer. Like I love to care and show my love and I'm a really silly, playful person. And I love to have fun and not take things too seriously and then take things way too seriously. (laughs) So I just feel like I'm always trying to find that balance and I love to learn. I love to reflect and just, you know, learn as much as I can while I'm here. August, who who are you? First of all, thanks for having us. It's uh, it's great to be here on this podcast. So who am I? Well, I'm a transmasculine, non-binary person. I have a lot of traits that were due to having been socialized female for the first 30 years of my life. I'm really empathetic, but I think both of us are incredibly empathetic. And I think that I'm really excited to parent with somebody like that. I'm a leader. I'm a, I'm a manager at work and it just, I get a ton out of like really showing up for the people that I lead. And basically just having gone through this transition over the past three, three or four years, I really, I just want to show visibility, you know, of, of the trans experience and what it looks like just to be your sort of normal trans person who's living their life. And, you know, it doesn't have to be weird or stigmatized or whatever, you know, we're just sort of normal people. So yeah, I really try to be visible in my, in my gender identity. And I'm very driven to help people through the the process basically that I, I have gone through because it was so meaningful to me and to really just uncover parts of myself that had been so hidden and so buried and, you know, just having got through so much shame that's been so powerful for me. So being able to be visible with that is, is my goal. Something that's very important to me and important to us. That's so important. And that's why we, you know, on Pregnantish, we've always had a tab on our website, LGBTQ, because we felt like, well, why are all, anyone who builds a family when sex doesn't make baby is welcome on our platform. (laughs) And all of us who that did, you know, for me too, sex did not make baby. All of us have a story to tell and a light to shine because that story, that narrative is left out. When we say first comes love, then comes marriage, then comes a baby carriage. We're leaving out millions and millions of people, including people who don't want kids, but you guys sound so loving and kind and ready to have children. So we're also gonna talk about that today. Since this is Pride Programming this month in June, I would love to hear your coming out stories individually. You know, when did you, MB, know you may be queer or attracted to, you know, not going down the quote unquote traditional path to marriage and baby? Oh, I knew pretty early on that something was kind of, I was different. In second grade, my favorite show was Baywatch. And I, and that was different. That was different. Than, I think I liked it for a lot of different reasons. And it just, it kind of started like that. Like I just, I found myself really attracted to strong, strong female lead and just, just, just different kinds of people, people who I didn't know at the time, but were kind of queer in some way. It was like, I didn't have you know, growing up in the Midwest and in a, you know, kind of conservative family, I didn't have the terms or really the knowledge of what that was, but I was always drawn to it. And it took me a long time because this was 15, 20 years ago. You know, I, I hid that part away for a really long time. And it wasn't until college that I came out and I came out because I, I met my first girlfriend in a CSI chat room (laughs) And I see a TV theme here. (laughs) (laughs) 
I mean, there is a big TV, you know, growing up in a, a small conservative town, you know, I wasn't exposed to a lot of different people. So television, yeah, was really my my way to kind of find those parts of myself. And yeah, so and, and after that, I mean, that is when I came out. And that's, you know, I was 21. And I was, you know, wanted to date this girl and moved to Canada. And you know, that that's kind of how how that happened. But with August and our journey, my sexuality has changed even, you know, since then, like, I don't necessarily identify as a as a lesbian anymore. That was just what felt right at the time. But that's something I'm open to, and have learned to continue to explore, you know, that you don't have to, you know, for some people, they find that, that word or that label and that that group and that fits. But for me, I'm, I'm always open to learning and open to seeing, you know, how else I can evolve into being, you know, myself. Amazing. August, how about you? What's, I know it's always hard in a nutshell on a podcast <laughs> to explain a multifaceted layered journey, but whatever you can share, you know, a lot of our listeners are very inspired by the modern family stories we tell and the bravery of our guests. So, What's your coming out story, whatever that means for you? Yeah, well, I've come out twice and neither time I hit the nail on the head. (laughs) So, you know, I, I came out at 21 as a lesbian. I was a very awkward young person, you know, sort of, I never felt like I quite found my people or, or my or my style really, you know, I, it was like, I couldn't really see myself. And that, that's something that actually continued through the rest of my twenties. I enjoyed being a lesbian. I had really fun friends and it, we did a lot of fun stuff. You know, I mean, I, it was my introduction to the queer community and it, you know, I, I, I it, it felt like this is the closest thing to what's right. So I met MB, let's see, when I was 22 maybe. And then we got married five or six years later. And then a year after that, I basically was in this really hard spot where I was really depressed. You know, I I was, it's that thing of like not being able to see myself. I think like that had, I, I was just getting older and I was like, everybody else has kind of figured out who they are. And there's like something missing about the way that I have been expressing myself. Something feels off. And it, you know, with the increased visibility of trans folks, you know, folks like Laverne Cox, et cetera, you know, uh, being out in media, the, the, the concept of a trans identity started to kind of permeate inside my brain. And I was starting to ask myself questions. This was maybe Thanksgiving, maybe 2017. And yeah, I was just starting to ask myself these questions I just found, you know, in my head, I was just like, I think I'm trans. I think I'm trans. I think I'm not non-binary. I am, but I'm so scared. I just don't even know, you know, there's so much stigma. And I gotta say, like, I, I, I love, I love being a lesbian and I love the lesbian community, but they've got a problem. Some lesbians have a problem with trans men. And so, and, and I really, you know, had this culture all throughout my twenties of, you know, everyone around me, you know, anti-men, you know, masculine is bad. But that was really confusing to me because I I would see these masculine women who were lesbians like myself, and I'd be like, that's masculinity though. So how can masculinity be be so bad? Why, why are we 
creating this binary of, of somehow everything female is amazing and everything male is terrible. But that's I, I, I got that message from, frankly, lesbian culture in the 2010s. And so, you know, having to break through that was really, really massive for me. It took so much I, therapy, frankly. I got into therapy before I even told MB I was questioning my gender. I was like, I need to get into therapy. I need somebody to work out some of these feelings with me. And, uh, you know, I found a great you know, kind of like older gay man who's been an amazing therapist for me and walked me through so much of this stuff and, you know, helped me basically start practicing mindfulness where I was able to get in touch with my body. And it, I, I just remember in, in that time before I started hormones, but I was in therapy and I was thinking about all this. I just remember thinking, the answer is in my body somewhere. I just have to get there. I just have to find it. And so I just needed to get attuned to my body and, and focus on that. And I, I, I basically only did that. I, I lost friendships. I, I really retreated from my life. I, yeah, I wasn't able to show up for people in the ways that I had been, which I now see were really maladaptive and unhelpful. I was really overperforming for everybody in my life. And uh, these, I realized basically, I just had these cascade of realizations of I, I've been hiding from myself. And what I need to do is invest in myself and it, figure out what is going on. Why am I not happy? Why do I have such a beautiful life? If I look around me, I've got a wonderful partner, you know, great job, great home, all this stuff. Why? Why am I so unhappy? I have no wonderful friends. What is this? And basically got to the point where I was like, yes, I need, I need to make a change. And so I came out as non-binary. Then about six months later, it was like, I think I need to start hormones. So I did that. And it, I'm, I don't know, a year into hormones, I was like, I'm not just non-binary. I'm, I'm a trans man as well. Like that, that identifies me as well. So I had, a, when I first came out in 2018, I was using only they, them pronouns. And I now use both they, them and he, him pronouns. Uh, they both hold meaning for part, different parts of my identity that I that I mean, frankly, hold equal equal weight for me. So yeah. Oh, and then also, I mean, okay. Speaking of coming out, I mean, also, so I had to come out as pansexual because I got on hormones. Or actually, even before that, just starting, just questioning my gender in general made my and the the, the questioning the idea of of gender, not just my gender, but the idea of gender. That blew my sexuality wide open. And I realized I was never a lesbian. I was always attracted to all kinds of people. And, it, you know, understanding sort of where I'm at in terms of gender, I don't know, it's, it's complicated. And it's, it's frankly still changing. And I, I'm still open to it changing. But yeah, I, I came out as pansexual kind of casually. I don't think I really made a thing out of it. So yeah, I guess I've come out three times. So lesbian, non-binary, pansexual, and I, I don't know if I would call trans man, but anyway, so yes. Yeah, I mean, this it's amazing. And you did summarize what was the deepest moments in your life, like of yeah. realization oh, yeah. and oh, yeah. discovery. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it's so interesting that both of you, MB and August, uh, what I love about both of your coming out stories is that we can't fit so often. We can't fit into a box and society wants us to. And the happiest people I know are, are not, you know, they are living according to what, and I love what you said, August, about just being in your body, in your body, your spirit, your soul, whatever you want to call it, that takes a certain kind of 
that takes a consciousness and a dedication and an intentionality to be able to channel that, that is really hard, especially when you don't grow up, as you said, MB, and I'm here in Brooklyn, which is super progressive. And I grew up in Canada, you know, everything's very different probably than where you both grew up or what you were facing. But, but how about coming out to each other? I mean, August, what was that like with MB when you shared with her your discovery. So scary. So scary. I, it probably one of the scariest moments I've, I've ever had. Just, just the fear of, of losing what we built, the fear that you wouldn't want me anymore, the fear that this would just ruin everything. And it didn't ruin everything. <laughs> so MD, let's hear what, what happened on your end when August shared this with you. Well, a couple things. It wasn't a total surprise to me. You know, I think, and I had maybe even said to them, like, are you ever going to come out as trans? You know, like there was always a part of them that I I could sense and I could see, but just didn't quite it didn't quite make sense with kind of their body. And it was like a dissonance. And, and it was something that I think, I think they felt and like, I felt too. And so I wasn't totally surprised. And I was supportive of them. I like wanted to be I wanted to be there with them. And I was so thankful that they felt comfortable sharing that scary thing with me. And as you know, that was my initial reaction. And then I was terrified. And I was terrified in a lot of the same ways of like, what if they don't want me anymore? Like, what if, you know, something, the changes happen, you know, and, and then this this doesn't work out because because kind of historically or kind of what we like for a lot of relationships, it doesn't. Like when someone goes through a big change like this, like that's kind of that doesn't usually work out for people. And, but really thinking about it, I was like, but both of our fears are like losing each other. So like, that's something that we really like that, that, that is so important to both of us. Like we want to work to keep that, you know, to keep this relationship going and grow with the relationship. And I think it happened at a, a really opportune time because August was in therapy I was also in therapy and in in therapy school to become a therapist. <laughs> so it's like we had all of the support, like we found all of the support around us in order to help us through this time. And it was really hard. The first year was really, really difficult. And we had to have a lot of scary conversations. And we, you know, just tried to communicate all of our fear. You know, if we're like, if we're going to get through this and come out the other side, we need to just, we need to talk about it all. We need to bring up all the fears and, you know, all of, all of the uncomfortableness and it's made our relationship. It's just taken it to a whole new level, a whole new level, a relationship wise and just each, each other separately as well. And so it was difficult and scary, but it was, it was, it's what needed to be done. And it was the best thing. Yeah. You know, I'm a relationships author and one of my big isms, they all, all my friends call them Andrea isms, but is that you can't have intimacy without vulnerability. There's nothing right more vulnerable than being your true self in this bold way. When you got married did you think you were going to become parents together at that time as two women? But did you talk about your future family goals or family, what you imagined? I think we probably both had a general sense of, yeah, we'll probably be parents someday. 
Yeah. Yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't think we had really any kind of solid plan in mind, but it, it was something like, yeah, when the time it comes, we'll figure out what we're going to do. But, you know, like I said, I, I work with, I worked, I've worked with kids for a really long time. Um, I still work with kids now, you know, it, August is wonderful with children. So it was always something that we, yeah, just kind of, kind of assumed we would kind of figure out later, right? Because as queer people, it's like, we don't have the right, we don't have all the parts and materials. So it's like, we have to, we'll have to figure out something down the line, you know, when the time's right. So, you know, Matt is still on the line. (laughs) And so I know, and we've been quite transparent, even in the open of this podcast, that Matt is your sperm donor. But I want to go back to MB and Matt, what you guys, your relationship. So when did you meet? And I just want to hear about your your experience together as maybe two queer kids or two kids who weren't conforming with the rest of your kind of traditional town or school. Yeah, I mean, we were, that's what we were, is like kind of weird queer kids. And I just remember being like judgy little bitchy children, probably as a form of self-protection, but uh, we just had so much fun together. And it was always such a little like special, magical relationship. And we're so goofy and had so much fun together. And I mean, I knew I was gay at a young age. And I guess, you know, you knew you were gay at a young age, but I never suspected you to be gay. And we would go to prom together and homecoming together. And we did so much together. And and I think I came out first, right, MB? And then a little bit later, you're like, me too. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. And then... And then, and she moved away, so I don't see her as often, but obviously, like, whenever we get together, it's just, I, it's like such a nostalgic trip, because I feel like my weird queer self, but in the right ways, like, in the way that we felt safe, in the way that we had created a sanctuary with each other, and, and so, it's just fun to be goofy, and I just, now I, like, love their relationship so much, you kind of mentioned it, you know, as a relationship coach, but I love talking to MB and August as a couple, because, they've had to confront so much shadow work with both themselves and each other. And I think that it allows a space for me and Elliot to do that and other couples to do that. And that's why I think they're so inspiring is, is just what they've overcome and the, the love that they have for each other and the tools that they have to keep that love alive. That's beautiful. MB, when you came out to, do you remember that moment when you came out to Matt? I don't remember the moment. I remember, I remember going to like our first pride. It was like Omaha pride. It was like, there was a parade and it was like 10 minutes long. There was like, (laughs) (laughs) there was like maybe 50 people there. And I remember going like to the pride picnic and being like, I'm going to get a veggie burger. And I'm like 70% gay today. And like, just like trying that on, um, you know, so I kind of remember like definitely seeing Matt come out and, you know, that wasn't, you know, Matt, I mean, you can share the story, but in a small town, like it was kind of a, a thing, you know, but seeing him come out and, you know, that, that just kind of also gave me the courage and really it was, you know, a lot of, a lot of it, I kind of did in private, like online, right. That's where I felt kind of safe to explore that identity. But then once I, felt more comfortable, you know, I, I was like, I'm gay too. And here's this person that I'm, you know, 
interested in and you know because yeah I mean we we met in second grade and it was just it was just something I was just like there's something about this person I don't know what it is but we're like something about us you know you're like I think he will be my sperm donor I think that's what it is as if Matt and Elliot's story wasn't you know amazing and extraordinary enough with the way they brought Uma into the world when I booked them to come on the podcast, I didn't know about MB and August. I mean, this was a whole other layer of incredible family building. So when did you guys decide to, I don't know who asked who or how this came about, but one of you share, how is it that Matthew is your sperm donor? Did I offer? I probably did. It's like, it's something we, as like teenagers, we always joked about. Like it was something that we would kind of jokingly throw around, you know, like you're going to have my bait, like, right? Like, cause I'm gay, you know, like it was like, let's find some wombs and, you know, like I'll be your sperm donor. And it was just something that we just <laughs> would joke about as like teenagers and then got older and we're like, oh, let's actually, we could do this. And I think it was, I think it was around, you know, Matt and Elliot, you know, had had Uma and just, you know, it was it was so amazing. And then we got kind of started thinking about starting our family. And I think Matt, I think you were like pretty much offered like, but like in a joke, like you sent me some like I gift. I sent you a sperm, sperm yeah. or something. Yeah. <laughs> and I was, I was like, just putting it out there. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, well, you were right away. You said, yeah. And then you said you wanted to do it like not the good old fashioned way, like an at home sperm insemination right so like classic yeah. turkey basting yep. and i was like hell yeah because mostly because we spent so much money i mean like the bit like the business behind giving a baby is just outrageous and and they obviously are in a more progressive state and they would have more protection right and they'd have more like insurance benefits but still because you live so... in seattle or the yeah. seattle area yeah and so, but it's still just like so outrageously expensive. And if, if you are fertile and you don't need that help, why wouldn't you just do it that way? And so, so that they invited us to go out there and we visited them in, in December. Mm -hmm. And then we tried a few times mm -hmm. and then they came to Omaha just, when was that? The beginning of May over Mother's Day. Wow. You guys are so deeply connected Okay, so, and then when you had that Mother's Day visit, is what happened? Yeah, so so we visited over Mother's Day, and we tried, I think, five times, like just kind of at home, just kind of turkey baster, and it was really, you know, it was really incredible. It it's it took such a community of people to even get us out, like you know, out there, like changing flights and just trying to coordinate with all of these people. I mean, during a pandemic. During a pandemic as well. And yeah, something just, I don't know, it felt, it felt really special. It felt really serendipitous. And then we, you know, it's, we just found out that we're pregnant. Oh my gosh, congratulations. So, so Matt, Uma now is going to have a biological sibling. She already does. I mean, that's the thing is we have what we call super cousins because since Elliot's sister donated her eggs, Elliot's sister also has three of her own children. So biologically speaking, she has these like, well, what would you call those? That'd be like a half sibling. Is that what you, you would call that? We call them her super cousins. And then, yeah, so technically Uma would be a half sibling. I don't, we should think of some queer nerd 
term to call them, I guess, because mm-hmm. we we do want them to. Assume, I assume we want them to have a nice special connection, the same way yeah. that we're right. like have a special connection with each other. You know, I as I mentioned, I kind of see us as like all one big queer family. But with that said, it is their child. It's it's not mine, and and like and so yeah, I guess Uma and. Well, what are you calling your your embryo right now? Well, we call well. Let me say too, we call Matt our fairy godfather, but we are calling we're calling our baby Bimini right now, which is um, just one of our favorite drag queens. So, (laughs) you know what's so funny, Envy? When Matt first told me your name, in my mind it was spelled E M B I E because in the infertile community, everyone talks about their Envy babies, their embryos. So right away, I was like, that's so weird that her name is like Embryo. But now I see it's just the initials. So what do you guys think you're going to, you know, you have this big, as you say, happy queer family, this full of love, which is the most important thing, of course. What, What do you think you're going to tell your children or your child? I'll start with you, MB in August about his or her origin story and when do you think that'll happen i think we want to be straightforward with them i don't feel any reason to shield the truth i i don't have any shame around it i think it's like really cool the way that our baby was conceived mm-hmm. as for when i mean i think probably we'll just sort of from the beginning but maybe just sort of change the complexity of it as they get older as they're able to understand what we're what we're talking about yeah, yeah. I think, you know, working to be as as transparent as, as possible, you know, I think um, a lot of kids, you know, de- depending on the situation, can benefit from information so that there aren't these questions or these questioning of, you know, of their value or things like that. So, so kind of... Yeah, along with as they as they develop, you know, having that conversation, but you know, in a in a very wonderful and joyous way, and you know, full of love, like you said. You know, I always tell the audience at Pregnantish, who some of whom are infertile and never wanted this modern path that they had to take, you know, towards family. I, I often tell them that it's how amazing is it to tell your children how wanted they were, how incredibly hard you fought and you worked, you, you traveled literally the distance, you flew miles and all of us building our family in these modern ways between the bills with the, you know, the medical side to the, the heartache and the, the um, windy paths to parenthood. Oh my goodness. These are children everybody should fight for to, to be in this world. That's one reason I advocate, you know, I go to Capitol Hill every year when it's not COVID to argue for modern families, you know, to be built and to support anyone who fights to become parents. So what advice, and again, it's another broad question, but for anyone listening who's feeling really overwhelmed, really like not living as authentically as you guys are right now. And that, that was a process. We know that, but who wants to become a parent and can't even imagine it. Do you have any advice for that person? And that could, that might be a cisgendered, you know, infertile person. Do you have any advice for the listener? I might have them 
seek inside themselves why they think they're so far from from being able to have a child. You know, try to suss out if there's maybe some societal norms that they can see if they agree with that or not. You know, just uh, understanding with intentionality and clarity what forces are acting on your opinion of yourself in that in that moment. And what of that do you actually agree with when you're looking at it clearly, just right out in front of you? What of, what of this actually makes sense and is actually something that I want to take on for myself? And what actually maybe could I take, you know, what of that is something that I, you know, actually I don't need to be that. I don't need to have that that force on me. And I mean, yeah, that's pretty, pretty general, but I, I think there's, I think there's social forces acting on every single one of us that we could all, we would all be freer without. Amen. <laughs> yeah. I, I had a chapter in one of my books that uh, stop shooting all over yourself. And when I say it out loud, it, you know, it doesn't sound like I'm saying the word should, but there's something about living a life of want and not should that serves us all. Anything else you want to share? One thing that we kind of wanted to to touch on was like how people, you know, might think that we're like straight now, but oh, how yeah, like, like misconceptions. Oh, I love misconceptions, not just because it's a pun in the fertility <laughs> yeah. world. So, so tell me, tell me about that. Well, I think one misconception that we often get is, you know, now that August has transitioned and is more masculine presenting that like somehow now we're just like a straight couple, like, you know, we're just kind of put into that box and it's, it's the grossest feeling ever. I, I am not a straight person. We are not in a straight relationship. And it's really funny, actually, to be seen like that. I don't want to be seen like that. And it's it's that's an odd part of the trans mask experiences. Like usually, well, often, you know, trans men will have been very visible lesbians before, uh, like I was. And then they transition and then they're just sort of another dude. I think for some some trans people, right, they are you know, they are binary, right? They are a trans man and a trans woman. And, but, you know, but for, for August, who is non-binary, you know, I think sometimes people have a tendency to, you know, just kind of lump us into this straight cis couple. And that really doesn't honor the reality of our relationship or, you know, who we are as people. And, you know, so I think one misconception is that people just stop being queer or we stopped being queer. And that's just not the case. And any, if anything, we got, I think we got queerer. Yeah. <laughs> like it wasn't just a straight man living inside a, a, a woman. That's like not who I am at all. You know, when you said that, I thought you got clearer what you got clearer and queerer because through the clarity. Yeah. Yes. Right. Yes. Exactly. Uh, so yeah. that's a really powerful misconception. And actually until you said that, I never thought about that, that people are putting you in a new box and probably think they're doing you a favor. Like, Oh, this is going to be an easier life now. So we're going to, we're going to grant you that. And you're like, no, thanks. I don't want that. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It's like the first time someone referred to August as my husband, I was like, uh, that's, I don't have a husband. Like this is yeah. my partner, right? Like this is my spouse. <laughs> that is more encompassing of who they are. Like I am not a straight woman. No, 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 no. <laughs> Thank you guys so much. I, really am excited to follow your growing family story, both you, you MV and August and, and Matt and Elliot, because I think you're, you're, you're going to be connected forever now. And just to know 
how much love and thought and intentionality and everything else we've discussed was went into this family building journey just makes me full of pride. So it's a great, it's a great segment for pride. Thank you so much for being here. Wow. Thank you for having us so much. And thank you for listening to another episode of the Pregnantish podcast, where we tell the story of families built against the odds and how beautiful families are when they are made from love and science until next time.